Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, I thank you and praise you for the gospel of life, for the ways that you love us and take care of us, you watch over us and bless us. And Lord, I ask that you would truly give us every good gift we need to be able to honor you today. Lord, help us to be open, uh, grace us to be open, to be part of the gospel of life in our time. Lord, help us not to fall short or hold back. Help us to be willing to step up and step forward in living the, the call that is ours. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I thank you that you give us a fresh start and a new beginning when we do settle for less. Lord, we are so sorry for that. We repent of that. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today on Sound Insight. As I mentioned, um, Camille Pauly is joining me today on Sound Insight. Um, and the wonderful reason, uh, the, the, the facilitating reason, is the fact that they have a, uh, their annual gala is happening. And this one is coming up in September uh, in Bellevue at the Bellevue Hilton on September the 17th. That's a Friday. And if you go to healingtheculture.com, you can get information about how to register. Uh, the event has a social time at beginning at 5 and then 6 o'clock. Uh, they have dinner. The program starts at 7. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that during the course of the interview. But you can always go to healingtheculture.com to get access to the amazing free resources, learn more about the programs, the initiatives, the wonderful things that they are doing. And when I say they, you know Father Spitzer was the co-founder along with Camille in this wonderful effort. So without any further ado or delay, let's welcome Camille Pauly to the program and dive right in. Well, let me welcome to the program, Camille Pauly. Camille, how are you? Hi, Tom. I'm good. I'm just really good. It's, it's a good day to be alive. Yes. Isn't that, well, you know what, when you start like that, it's kind of a dramatic way of starting. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> These are the best of times. These are the worst of times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, let's launch in with that. Um, why are these times the best of times for you? Because God chose us to live for a time like this, which means he trusts us with the big mess that some people are making with this world. And I'm really honored to be here. I'm really honored that he trusts us with it. Um, that's why it's the best of times. Worst of times? I don't think you need me to answer that question. <laughs> I, I was fascinated by the best of times. So Gary um, yeah. was um, reading, we, we, um, uh, we're, we have this missile, this 1962 missile, and there's this little section in the front that's called Your Mass and Your Life. And it's about <laughs> 20 pages long in this tiny writing. And it is one of the most profound yet succinct like understandings of what the mass is. And she was sharing with me uh, the, uh, the other day that she read something that had jumped off the page at her that she had never heard before. And it's interesting because it was one of the things that jumped off the page at me. And it was this. And once I say it, you'll know why, because I think it links into why it's the best of times for you. It, it, the insight in this little section said that you... Camille, are the father's gift to the son, that God the father has made a gift to the son. He's given a gift to the son. And, and what that gift is, is each of us. I never heard that before. I never, no, like, I, you know, I it's, haven't either. it's like that our life is a gift and all of that. But Camille, you are what the father has given to the son as a gift. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. And it's perfectly what we need to hear today, that he chose me at a gift as a gift to the son right now. And the son suffered and died. And I'm called to suffer and die. And the fact that he wants me to be that gift right now is so ennobling. You know, I can, I can suffer anything this culture has to give us if I know that. If I don't know that, it's very difficult to suffer anything. Yeah. I, I think you're so right. I mean, um, when I think about like, where do we find our identity, right? That's such a big deal for you, for healing the culture, for um, how you unfold these just four levels of happiness. I mean, so many of those things are traced back to, like, where do I get my sense of identity? Mm -hmm. And the idea of, like, I find my identity 
in a reality that goes beyond this world and goes beyond time that God, the father from all eternity is preparing, molding, shaping, and is now releasing into this moment in history. One of the gifts that he has authored into existence for his son and it's, and it's you and it's me and it's for this moment. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a, like, what a, what a source of meaning, huh? What a source of purpose for life. It really is my source of purpose. And so many people don't know that, don't understand that message. It's as simple as maybe it was about 10 years ago that I started when people would ask, you you know, how are you today? You know, and my answer starting about maybe 10 years ago was happy. I say that all the time now. How are you happy? Well, I would tell you that 10 times out of 10, when I answer that way, people just look at you like you have eight heads and say, what? And, and it's only once in a while that people are like, yeah, that's really cool. I'm happy too. Most of the other times I was looking at you like, what, what does that mean? You know? And that speaks a lot, you know, that you, you say that you're happy and people don't even kind of get it. It's like, are you crazy? Or, or is this a weirdo? You know, it's, it's happiness is not something that I think most people experience. So they don't know what it means. So they think happy means I'm feeling really silly right now, or, you know, they don't understand the depth of that. And that's kind of sad, but I'm just going to keep saying it because I am happy. Uh, Great so time to be alive. Let's ask. So and so I say, hi, Camille, how are you? And you say, I'm happy. How are you? And I'll say, great. Um, <laughs> what do you mean that you're happy? I want to know more. Yeah. What do you mean when you say, I'm happy? And I tell people the truth. I say, because God is a good God and he made me in his image. And it's such a wonderful thing to be able to share that with people. Why wouldn't you be happy when you know that? You know, Camille, it's funny. I, I was um, I was talking with someone at a wedding recently, um, uh, an unnamed uh, family member. Um, not uh, and so just say this includes cousins and relatives and all these other wide ranging sets of folks. And he is one of those um, uh, members of that generation that has sort of wandered from the faith that they grew up in in, in the Catholic Church. And he said that he was no longer Catholic but still believed in God. And so I said to him, well, does this God know you? And he was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, do you have a relationship with this God? Does this God communicate to you? Is this God aware of your existence? Um, Were you specifically designed by this God to be alive in this moment? And it was really interesting because you think someone who grew up in a Catholic home and a Catholic faith, going to Catholic schools, for 16 years would probably have like been asked to ponder and been presented with this truth in this teaching and this reality of our life of faith. But it was, it was something that stopped him short where the idea of believing in God or accepting that there is a God was somehow lacking a relational component. Um, How does that, like when you hear that, you work a tremendous amount with uh, young people, with the younger generation, and you've done this for 25 years. Um, what's your sense about like that kind of response? Is that, uh, is that surprising to you? Or is you just like saying, no, that is super common? It's not surprising to me. It's shocking, if that makes any sense. It's, it's shocking to me with how much, it's not surprising in the sense that I see it all the time, but every time I see it, it's shocking because it hurts so badly to see so many people without a real sense of the, of the relationship. This might be a little off track, but I'll give you an idea of what I experienced in the same vein. Um, you know, I had somebody recently tell me that they were Christian, but not Catholic, just like how you mentioned, um, gave up their Catholic faith years ago. And I asked them why. And they said, because, because Jesus is the word and I want to hear the word. And you don't speak enough about the word in church at the Catholic church. And all we do in our evangelical church is talk about the word. And I said, wow, you know, I talked a little bit about how, well, we get the word all the time at mass. You just have to listen for it. You know, and we, it's, it's there. It's all over the place in the mass. And I said, but, but something curious, how you said, Jesus is the word. I said, actually, Jesus is the word made flesh. And that flesh dwells among us and it still dwells among us in the form of the Eucharist. So while we have the word and the flesh, you only have the word. Why would you want to give up the flesh too? When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And he was just like, oh, I never thought of that before. You know, and, and we don't think about that. He was the word and he was made flesh. And we have both of those at mass together, united as one person. But I guess the point I want to make about that with the pro-life movement is in, in schools, it's even more obvious today than it was 25 years ago when I started this, that young people have no idea what it means to have a personal relationship with God in the flesh. And so much of that is because we no longer know what it means to be in the flesh. How can you understand the sacrifice Jesus made for us when we don't even know what it means to be in the flesh? We don't know what it means to be sexual. We don't know what it means to be united one body to another in marriage. We don't even know what it means to be a man or a woman anymore. We don't know what it means to be a life bearer anymore, to be co-creative. So it's not surprising that when we don't know who we are in the flesh, we don't know who God is in the flesh and we don't know what it was he sacrificed or how deep it is what he sacrificed for us on the cross. And it's heartbreaking. But more now than ever, Tom, I'm convinced that the pro-life movement must do this evangelization. We cannot just talk about here are the unborn baby pictures. It has to be you are a being made in flesh in the image and likeness of God. And here who's, here's who he is. Because the farther people get from that reality, the crazier they get in their beliefs about who they are as a human person. And it's, it's sucking people in, sucking not just children in anymore, but their parents are giving up and uh, falling into the same temptations of, of error. So I'm talking today with Camille Polly, the president and CEO of Healing the Culture. Go to healingtheculture.com. We'll be talking more about this upcoming gala uh, next month happening in Bellevue. Um, Camille, as you work with parents, uh, you know, with adults and their kids um, to present the gospel of life, to foster a pro-life culture, to really heal our culture, um, have you found that there are like let's say new pains, new sufferings that have arisen because of, I just call broadly the transgender ideology, um, because you're talking about the word made flesh, but if we've lost confidence that the flesh actually speaks anything that is essentially real, that everything goes back to our volition and our feelings, um, have there been new losses, new like sources of sort of say corroding of the like the basics of like understanding our, our own sense of self and, and our own sense of self as children of God. Yes. Um, I, I can speak to one, I think that would be a good example of the pain that we're experiencing and the loss of self. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, um, an article that was published in the, uh, the Hastings center report recently. It was published by um, that's one of the leading bioethical journals and it was published by two um, um, authors. And it was about how, what they're proposing is that um, we take a serious look at what they call advanced directive implants or ADIs. And what this is, is it's an implant that you would put into somebody's body, um, which would detect the onset of dementia. And then at a point in which the dementia would become unbearable to that particular person, it would be programmed to release um, a drug that would kill you, a lethal drug. And so I'm reading through this article and I'm thinking, why am I not surprised? <laughs> you know, what, again, why am I not surprised but shocked that, that people would think to do this to each other? It's because it's yet another play out of people not knowing who they are and what it means to be in the flesh. And that we think that, you know, being in control of all of my faculties is what it means to be human or not being a burden to anybody else is what it means to be human or being independent is what it means to be human. We have such a minimal, concrete, tangible definition of the human person without any sense at all of a transcendent self, you know, of a self that has a connection to the divine or a self that has a real connection to love and truth and justice in the world and a relationship with other. It's just this sense that, you know, when I can't function anymore, I'm worthless. Or when I can't take care of myself, then life is a burden to me or I'm a burden to you. So I'm reading through this article and these, these authors really try to have this idea that this is the compassionate thing. You know, compassion is when you can't bear your life anymore, or you become unbearable to somebody, this is so great because you can just program it yourself 
Nobody has to be involved. You don't have people making decisions when you're too far, far gone for you and trying to guess what you want to do. You get to program it. And then when it tells that you have dementia and now it's progressed to a certain point, bang, a drug will be released and you're dead. And that's great because then you're in total control. And that's what really the transgender movement is all about. Me having control over defining myself however I want it to be, and it's inevitably going to be something materialistic, um, something shallow, um, and something that is that is not transcendent in any way. It was devastating. But as I was reading through this article, they had a comment by Wesley Smith. You know, you know Wesley Smith with um, the Discovery Center or the Discovery Institute. Yes. And he, yeah, and and he's. Um, written many books that your listeners have read, I'm sure. And he was one of our speakers at, at our gala years ago. And he, he makes this comment. He says, he says, he says, I know how difficult Alzheimer's can become. He mentions that his mom died of it and spent several months of her life at the end of her life living with him and his wife. And they took care of her. And he says it was not easy. But he says this, he says, part of the essence of true humanity is caring and loving, caring for and loving each other no matter how taxing and emotionally devastating it can be, especially when a person is so ill or injured, they can't take care of himself. He says, that's the best part of what it means to be a human person. And, and that's so missing from all of the dialogue is when you are hurting, when you are, when you feel lost in your skin, when you are tragically, hopelessly, you know, um, beyond the care of medicine, or when you give, birth to some child that is disabled and is not going to be able to get better. Um, at that point, we just give up. And what he's saying is no, it's in those moments that you become most human when you care for the other. And so sad that people are living shadow lives of themselves, that they're not fully living themselves and they don't get it. That's what it means to be pro-life. Pro-life is not just about saving the body from death. It's about saving people's souls from the death of living these shadow lives where they live these tiny little lives in these tiny little worlds, you know, never doing anything big, never going beyond themselves, never doing anything noble or heroic, but always being told you are noble and heroic because you live your tiny microscopic life, live for yourself in your own definition of who you are and nobody else matters because what really matters is you. And that's, that's the most devastating part of our culture of death, I think. Not to minimize the millions of babies who have died, you know, right. that's huge, but this is just as huge to me. Yeah. You know, Camille, I, uh, uh, you just shared something that reminded me of what I witnessed in my mom's death uh, almost four years ago. Um, she had a hard relationship with one of my sisters. Um, it was just one of these Italian Irish families and that uh, rebellious teen led to a challenging, hard relationship through a lot of their lives. And my mom um, um, ended up ha having cancer and brain cancer. Mm -hmm. And so she experienced some tremendous suffering over the course of a few years. But then over the last several months, when, when the cancer went to her brain, mm -hmm. she ended up with, um, um, like, again, a diminished capacity mentally um, and required increasing amounts of care while mm -hmm. she had less and less control over her her physical body. She suffered tremendously. However, that in the midst of that time of diminishment and increased suffering, this daughter, my sister, who had always struggled with her, ended up having an incredible healing happen in their relationship because my mother needed to be cared for. And my sister was able to show her true compassion, literally, and walked with her through suffering over these months. And let me tell you what health was unable to bring to their relationship, suffering brought to their relationship. And that wow. was healing. Yeah. And, um, and even though my, my sister would say, it was one of the hardest things she ever had to do to care for my mom in those months. It was one of the most healing things that ever happened in their entire relationship. 
I hear this story all the time, Tom. I love what you just said about how what health didn't bring to the relationship, suffering did. People need to remember that and even write it down because it's. I hear that all the time in people caring for their dying parents. You know, I this I, there's a, a line that I heard and I use it um, uh, as a husband and a father. Um, I don't remember this fellow's name, but he was the president of a Christian college. Um, I believe somewhere in the, in the east, uh, eastern part of the United States. And he talked about his academic career and how um, being in this college and being on faculty um, required lots of sacrifices. And his wife was the one who bore, bore the brunt of them. And there was always this sort of promise that one day he would retire and they would be able to enjoy their, you know, the, the sunset of their lives together. Well, and you can kind of guess what's going to happen next is that this wife who has waited decades for the husband to finally um, arrive at retirement, um, as he is getting closer to retirement, she begins to show signs of dementia and begins to diminish um, in her own mental capacities, so much so that he needs to retire early. And in his retirement address, he says to his community, to this school community, that he tells the story about this journey with his wife and how his wife had made all of these sacrifices for her. And now he was going to um, step away in order to care for her. And he said this line and the line was this. He said, but please don't misunderstand me. I don't have to resign from being president and take care of my wife. I don't have to, I get to. Oh, wow. And I thought you were going to say, I want to. Yeah. But he said, I get to. That there was a privilege and a gift that he was being given to be able to pour himself out in service to his wife, who would have ever more diminished ability to appreciate what he was doing for her. And the, the kind of sacrifice that he was going to be making was a privilege. That uh, is so beautiful. What powerful? a gift. There's a guy who really knows how to live fully. And he won't yeah. regret a minute of it. You know, it's funny. How many of us pour ourselves into that kind of living when we have children, right? And it takes five, six years before your child's kind of able to do stuff without bothering you for every single thing they need. Five or six years when they are a complete, quote unquote, burden on you, right? And you have to do everything for this child. And yet, who's going to say, well, okay, except for people who run around thinking abortion is a sacrament. You know, what sane parent is going to say, that was a waste of my time. Nobody. We're all going to say that it wasn't until I had a child that I really realized how selfish I was or how impatient I was. And my child was such a gift because I got to be your parent. Why aren't we willing to do that at the end of life? Where once again, the person becomes completely dependent and in need and, and we get to take care of you again, but we're not willing to say that it's worth it then just because you're old. What's that all about? It's really sad. It, it's a, it's a tremendous sadness. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know if it's a, the, the American ideal of what a life fully lived means and this whole quality of life conversation. Um, but I think that, you know, like so many listeners who are here, uh, listening to uh, Camille, you and me talk today, I'm talking to Camille Polly. Again, go to healingtheculture.com to find out about their Make a Splash 2021 Gala coming up on Friday, September the 17th at the Bellevue Hilton. You can register right online to support the important work of healing the culture, healingtheculture.com. Camille, um, uh, I was surprised uh, unexpectedly. I was, I was where I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, so our kids, um, they advocated for us, let's go to mass at St. Mary's. This was oh. two weeks ago. <laughs> um, Carrie wasn't with me. She was out and I'm like, okay, we're going to go to St. Joan of Arc half hour away. And they're like, no, no, no. So-and-so is not feeling well. We can't go there. Let's just go down the street. Uh, let's just go. And, and I'm like, we're not supposed to be there. And all of a sudden we get there and we you know, shuffle into the back pew. And I see this very devout family kneeling <laughs> two rows in front of us. There are two lovely daughters veiled. Uh, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Camille and Michael and their darling daughters uh, right there at Mass at St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. And with Father Jeff Lewis, folks listening to Sun Insight, 
know Father Lewis from our Monday programs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're here. So it was so interesting how we went where we weren't expected to go, weren't anticipating going, and just felt like grumble, grumble, why are we going here? And then all of a sudden, there was the gift, the unexpected gift of having you there and having a chance to meet with you. Wow, Tom, that's really beautiful. I mean, I wish everybody felt the way you do when they're in my presence. (laughs) That's really funny. It was a joy to see you as well. And how much more does a joy these days to see like-minded people and be in their presence and just bask in their sanity, you know, and in their goodness. That's that was a good guys. Well, it was neat to meet up with you guys because I think it was, I don't know if it was the first time we had seen each other since you made your big move. Yes. And so uh, for folks that are listening, um, you guys, you you made a big family decision to make a move. And I I don't know, are you guys, are you open to share a little bit about that? Sure, I will. Yeah, sure. I think it was a real leadership decision on my husband's part. Um, You know, we, we just really found that operating all of healing the culture out of the Seattle area was not working. We needed the freedom to be able to do what the organization needs to do. And we're a national group. So we made the decision to leave some of healing the culture in um, Washington state in Seattle. So we've got a core group of three staff members there, but to move the studio and our family to Rapid City, South Dakota. And so we're here in South Dakota right now, um, still haven't found a house <laughs> because it is a happening place here. A lot of people have the same idea we did, and it is fast growing. So we're still looking for a house, but we'll be building out a studio. Did you just say it's fast growing in Rapid City? Did you just yes, that? I, did. I, I can't did. believe you just did that, Camille. Isn't that cool? That was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I... It's a, it's a beautiful place to be in the sense that it is growing. There's a huge Christian and Catholic community here. It's lovely. The weather is not as nearly as bad as the east side of the state, which gives it the bad rap. And, um, and we, it is so pro-life. I mean, there's pro-life billboards everywhere, pro-family billboards everywhere, billboards supporting our military and billboards supporting two-parent families and praying families stay together. You know, it's just an amazing culture here, which I love. But it's also a good place for healing the culture because we can expand, you know, we don't have to worry about all kinds of shutdowns and regulations and a government that hates what we do. And, and it just made sense to move the film studio here. So, so we're here, we love it here. About four families, five now from our parish in Seattle are now at my parish in Rapid City. So, you know, I, I kind of see, you know, people are seeing what we're doing and what other people are doing and thinking, yeah, me too. So it's, it's just, it's kind of interesting to see the world moving around, but at the same time, there are a lot of people who are still called to stay where they are and to not move. And those people need to need to know that they're honored as well, because some people need to stay put. Um, and I, I, I love to see how God is moving people around and keeping certain people where they are. And he, he's got his purpose and his intention. Everybody's doing what they think is best for their family right now and for their ministries right now. And I, and I really I'm really enjoying watching the growth in people as they as they think I never thought of doing this before but here we go. <laughs> well, it's funny because I'm going to guess that um, just, you know, a handful of years ago, you never would have thought, you know what? Rapid City sounding pretty good right now. You know, I didn't even know South Dakota was in the United States a few years ago. <laughs> I never, I don't know anybody here. I don't have family here, but it came out as a clear winner after six months of research. My husband's an amazing researcher and he did this mother of all spreadsheets with 60 different categories in 20 different states. And Rapid City was right up there with Idaho. And uh, we ended up choosing, or South Dakota, and we ended up choosing South Dakota simply because it was centralized. And so we're going to move anyway. It's nice to have something in Washington state and something more centralized. It just makes more sense. And eventually we hope to be either East Coast or maybe down Texas or Florida as well. That's excellent. Well, and I think that it's one of those things where COVID has sort of shaken loose a lot of things. Yeah. Maybe we would have taken for granted that was like solid and almost immovable in our lives, right? Like right. the idea of, well, you're always gonna live near family or that's the ideal. And so you'd strive to accomplish that to the extent that you can. But now I feel like there is a bit more of a mission mindedness around, well, no, we life on earth is short. We've got one life to live. Let's follow the Lord wherever he would lead us on an adventure. Yes, I, I know one conservative Catholic family pro-life that moved out of Washington state into California for mission. 
you know, so not everybody is going to these, uh, you know, more uh, conservative pro-life areas. A lot of them, or some, I guess I want not say one, but I suspect others are, are moving because they see mission opportunity in areas that really badly need them. So listen to this. So my oldest daughter, Mary Grace, 21. So she is living with uh, young women that they went on mission together around the world. And then they were evangelizing on college campuses through YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Mm-hmm. And they chose to move to Newburgh, Oregon. Now, why wow. Newburgh, Oregon? Well, <laughs> it's the number one city or in the number one county in the U.S. in terms of the highest rate of suicide among young adults. Oh, wow. So they chose to move there in order to have an impact on young adults' lives. And so they have a, an evangelistic outreach of all places at a skateboard park. Yeah. So my daughter has learned how to skateboard and they show up with a barbecue. It's called the Saints Grill and they barbecue hamburgers and hot dogs and they give them out free to all of these skateboarders. And they have a, an evangelistic ministry right there in the skateboard park to try to talk about be a light in the darkness. How does that sound? I think that's Tom, cool. Your family is so cool. I think that's the most awesome thing and good for her. I hope people listening to this will take courage in maybe something that they're thinking of doing to build a culture of life, but are afraid to take that step. I, I think that's a great witness and I'd love to hear how it goes for her. God bless Well, her. you know, they have some just beautiful stories of, because then they'll host like uh, prayer meetings at their house to give these kids a place to go at the next level once they have um, like built those relationships. So it's a very much a relational evangelization. So a number of these kids have come back to faith in God, have come back to church through their ministry. And now these, some of these kids have even become evangelists or witnesses to their own friends. So, I love that. you know, we have, stories. we have, you know, we have this program called life advocacy, student training with the acronym is the acronym is last. And it's our training program for college students where we go into a university. We'll train between 10 and 30 kids who are hardcore pro-life leaders in father Spitzer's pro-life curriculum on the 10 principles and the four levels of happiness. And then we show them how to evangelize on their campus. And we've, we've trained like 700 students now have been graduates of our program. We have these students now who we're finding planted around the country who pop up in the most unlikely places, who've been graduates of our program and are now starting new ministries, blogs. One of our, um, Margaret Graves, who is our um, director of, of donor relations was on this program in Poland it was a conference she went, attended to a two-week program in Poland last month, two months ago. And one of her roommates was one of our last graduates who is now involved in arts and culture on, a, on an international scale. And so it's, it's, a, such, it's a small world in our world, but it's also a huge world because the people that we graduate go out and do these big things and take what they've learned with them. And it's amazing to see them now. So many of them are realizing, I've got to be a part of the solution. I can't just say, oh, I learned this nice class and it was fun. I got to do something with it now. And I, I'm, I'm so honored and, and proud of these students who are not afraid. When, if I were a college student today, I don't know if I'd be terrified to do anything. I mean, you'd get shot in the street, practically even just walking down a college campus if you're pro-life and conservative. But these kids are fearless. And um, God raises up the people he needs for the era that we're living in. And he has raised up these kids and they are courageous. They are bold. They're noble. They're unafraid. They're also compassionate kids. And I, that's what I mean. The best of times is the worst of times. And I wouldn't want to live in any other time. Well, you know, it's like, um, I just, it's like adversity, right? Adversity gives birth to diamonds, right? You get the the pressure and it's like, okay, that's going to forge something glorious. And I don't know, maybe that's going to be one of the enduring lessons of, um, I'll say like in the last few, in the last few decades, maybe when we grew up um, and I'm older than you, but um, when we, not by much. Well, I think it was kind of a softer generation, right? I don't know if it's like, I have this theory that like my parents both lived through like the depression, the second world war, Korean war, um, in terms of their growing up. My mom, immigrant from Italy, they, they had hard life. And I think that sort of the pendulum swing, they wanted to provide a sense of, we're going to give you what we didn't get. 
we're going to like provide for you a kind of comfort and protection against all the harshness that we knew. And I think that in some ways I wanted to hand that on to my kids, but realizing that that doesn't always serve. That doesn't really serve the forging of like, let's say authentic, courageous manliness and a, uh, a noble way of living that involves a willingness to sacrifice very much. Again, yeah. I'm now, I think I'm speaking in some ways, like along the lines of, of, you know, some of the core messaging that comes out of healing the culture. Yeah. Like where does real happiness come from? Yeah. And you have to start young. I, there are two resources I want to mention to your listeners. One is if, if your audience has not read the book by Anthony Esselin called out of the ashes, it's a great book, well-written, easy to read, fun to read. That's all about the huge mess in every area of culture and politics and education that we've made out of our world today and how it's, it's going to crash and burn. It cannot be sustained. And you see that happening before your eyes now, but how we can rebuild and, and how we need to rebuild and how we can reclaim and build it again and start afresh. And, you know, and the title Out of the Ash is so beautiful. And I would encourage people to read that because you're going to find somewhere in there what your niche is, art, education, politics, um, you know, family, church. Um, you're going to find your niche. And he gives real concrete advice on how to rebuild a culture, a real culture of life out of the ashes and mess of our culture. So that's one, Out of the Ashes by Anthony Esselin. But the other one, if I can say something that we have, and it's a free resource, is, and your listeners have maybe heard of this, Philo and Sophie is our program for little kids. I'm talking kindergarten, you know, four, five years old, six, seven, kindergarten through second grade. The program is all done and it's online. It's at philoandsophie.org. It's spelled like philosophy, P-H-I-L-O and sophie.org. And it's a curriculum for little kids. It's all free. There's videotape that's like, there's video that's like, um, uh, you know, Sesame Street style. And it walks kids through those four levels of happiness and deeper meaning and purpose in life and gets them real excited about what is noble and true and good and beautiful, right? When they're only kindergartens and kindergartners. And then it walks them through what real love is and what real success is and what it means to be important, right? Not a level one and two interpretation of importance, but a level three and four interpretation of importance. And then it walks them through you know, some of these principles that Father Spitzer lays out, the principle of non-contradiction. We apply it to pro-life themes. It can't be a baby and not a baby at the same time. And we do it in a real innocent way. But it's a tool that your audience members can use with their, their siblings, their younger siblings, their kids, their grandchildren, if they teach at a religious education program in a church, uh, if they teach little kids in a school. Um, it's all free, simple little videos. There's teacher resources and parent resources, and it's a lot of fun and it uses puppets and animation. Um, and I think I think people would love it. It's all about what is true and good and beautiful and teaching kids when they're really young to fall in love with that. That's Camille Polly and she's recommending um, these beautiful resources, and there's so many others as well. But go to healingtheculture.com, healingtheculture.com to get access to those resources for free. So many, including this Philo and Sophie, which again, you'll find links to that website and other websites, uh, curriculum, uh, principles and choices, so many other beautiful things that um, that Camille and her team are producing at Healing the Culture. You mentioned Father Spitzer's name. I want to ask you a question. So <laughs> he is he released um, in the midst of the, um, the pandemic, um, this new trilogy, because why write just one small book when you can write three very <laughs> other long books because the, uh, because the quartet wasn't enough, right? So the first one of those was Christ versus Satan in, um, in our daily lives. Right. And, and he mentions at the beginning that um, he wrote this as a response to what he saw happening in the, in the midst of the pandemic. He just felt like people aren't really understanding the way in which Satan comes after us uh, in the scriptures, in our tradition, and then, and, and then the remedies that are offered. Um, I found in, in reading, uh, we've been talking about this on Sound Insight, the, the first volume. We can't even get through it because it's so dense. I mentioned that to you. But he talks in a really personal way. He's kind of unveiling a lot more about his own spiritual journey in this book than in any others. Now, you're someone that 
has known him for literally decades. Mm -hmm. um, I would love for you to share um, either a story about Father Spitzer or in a personal way, how has he impacted your life? <laughs> Not just your career, but I, I know that many listeners have like a favorite priest or priest that deeply impacted their lives. But uh, I want to hear a Father Spitzer story from you that I've never heard before. Uh, or an oh, impact wow. that Father Spitzer's had in your life. Wow. Well, there are so many stories that I could tell. And, uh, you know, I've known Father Spitzer for over 25 years now, and I had the privilege of working with him for many years, one-on-one -on -one for, you know, 72-hour weekends, working on his books and taking all of his classes and starting life principles and healing the culture and getting to know him as a best friend. And he's the godfather to my children. And and he's my boss, you know, so there's just so many different angles that he has influenced my life. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable and share, since you put me on the spot, share one story with you. This was back in the, I guess, the, the late 90s when I first started working with him. We'd, actually, we've been working together for about five years by then. And I had um, I had been going to the Pius X uh, masses up on the mount there in Spokane um, at, uh, what's it called? Tom, um, St. Michael's, yes. uh, the set of a contest. Yeah. I'd been going there because I, I had been convinced by some family members that, you know, the Pope wasn't the Pope and, <laughs> and this was the church to go to if you want the real mass. And so I, I, I gone, it was, I was only in it for a very short while, but I was really struggling with it because every mass was about how, you know, the, the ordinary form of the church is evil and it's all bad. And here's what the evil Pope does and blah, blah, blah. And I, every time I went to these masses, I was like, wow, these people are just against. They're not for anything. They're just against. And I was struggling. And, and I'd been working with Father Spitzer. And I started talking to him about it one day. And he was saying, well, you know, why are you going? And I said, well, because, and I parroted a phrase that I regret to this day in my life. It is the ultimate shame of my life. I parroted a phrase I'd heard from one of the um, you know, people who were going to that church. And, and I said, I'm going to it because all they ever talk about at the Novus Ordo Mass is love this and love that and love, love, love. You know, because of course at the church I was going to, they all talk about fire and brimstone and you're going to hell and blah, which is better, right? That's a better thing to hear, right? And Father Spitz just looks at me in shock and he says, love, 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 love. He says, but that that's who God is. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and I just, I thought he, I mean, he was just so appalled and he didn't mind. And then I got this lecture from him about how you know, this is the, the essence of God's nature. This is who he is. He is love. And let me explain to you what that means and the depth of what that love is. It's agape love. And let me tell you what that agape love is because you can experience love in four different ways. There's, there's philia and that's part of God and storge and that's part of God. And, there's, you know, and then there's eros, which certainly is part of God because he's intimate and a very romantic lover of the beloved, but he's agape. And, that's how, and he's going on and I'm getting this and just eating this up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And his... his you know, his way of taking something and making it so simple and then turning around when he feels like you're ready and making it so deep was what I, exactly what I needed at that moment. And I, I was out of there in an instant and back into the arms of Holy Mother Church in an instant. And I, I, will, I will never forget him for that. And I will, I will never be able to thank him enough for that gift when he, when he gently brought me back. And a lot of people don't know that part of my story, that that was part of my story. But he very gently brought me back and then forcefully gave me an education that I needed. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is, it's powerful. But what you just gave an example of was a, what a passionate witness to the truth of our faith, yeah. the impact that can have on someone's life. Yeah. Right. He didn't give you a lecture. That's right. Uh, Not until I needed it. Testimony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting down, wag his finger at you. No. But, no, but it was uh, like truth and love, right? It was truth and love. It was truth in love. And it was a loving, it was loving truth. And I, I, the, the way that that, yeah, those are intertwined, right? Yeah. Because he didn't just say, let me give you a hug, right? Or he didn't just say, here, read this right. um, manual no, he on the nature of me. God. He witnessed to me in the flesh. It's like somebody asking, how are you today? I'm happy. Why are you happy? Because God made me in his image and likeness. And I love that. We have to do that today. We cannot be afraid to share our faith. Our culture is dying because we have been afraid to share our faith. There's no better time to live. 
Camille, um, you uh, and Michael went down to Napa. Yeah. Um, so folks, some folks, well, most folks listening don't know what that is, the Napa Institute. And um, speaking of Father Spitzer, um, I believe he was able to be there as well. Um, I'd love to hear a story about um, your time there. And um, don't be shy. Tell us a beautiful story about how wonderfully received and supported the work of Healing the Culture is. Because folks, as you listen, I am hoping that you will go to healingtheculture.com. You'll find out about this gala coming up on September the 17th in, at the Bellevue Hilton. Carrie and I have been there a number of times at those, at those galas. Um, now that we're on the other side of the state, when you do one over here again, Camille, we'll be happy to come. But uh, <laughs> I want to know about your time at the Napa Institute. Tell me a cool story, and then we'll talk more sure. about the gala. Sir, the Napa Institute is a conference that's put on every year um, by Tim Bush, who is a big entrepreneur in Napa, California and Orange County area. Um, he owns a law firm. He owns a big resort called the Meritage Spa Resort. It's like a Catholic resort. Everybody should go there at least once in their life. They've, it's a beautiful, like, I don't know, five, six star resort, but they've got a chapel right in the middle of it. And it's gorgeous and huge and beautiful, a Catholic chapel. And there, you can always find somebody saying a Catholic mass in there. And every year they have this, this institute and you can go. It's pretty expensive, but it's worth it. And it brings big thinkers and Catholic evangelists and Catholic apostolates and and prelates and bishops, you know, and and priests and nuns all together once a year. It's about 750 people every year to talk about how we can form and move and shape culture and art and politics and education in the Catholic image um, in the future. And uh, it's a wonderful place for healing the culture because we get our product out there. We, we help other apostolates know what we're doing. We collaborate a lot. We've got many donors from the event. We've got many schools that attend uh, to use our programs. But I guess one really fun story is that last year, uh, no, I guess it was two years ago at the Napa Institute, I got to meet the daughter of Gianna Beretta Mala, St. Gianna Beretta Mala. And, um, you know, your listeners know the story. I'm sure that St. Gianna Beretta Mala was... Uh, an OBGYN, and she died um, um, of complications of cancer. She, she had a cancer, and she was advised to abort her baby girl um, and because of that, and she did not, and she chose to wait to give birth and then gave birth to this little girl and then died. And they canonized her um, in her daughter's lifetime recently. And so her, the daughter, who was the one she was pregnant with when she was, and the reason why she is a saint, because she gave her life for her child, was there speaking at the conference. Well, we had just finished writing the script, uh, a script for Philo and Sophie, where the little puppet mermaid Sophie is speaking with a doctor about how special women's bodies are because we can have babies and this is so special and it's wonderful. And the sacrifice we give for our children when we're pregnant. And, um, um, you know, how some women, every woman has to sacrifice something. And Sophie asks, well, how much do you have to sacrifice? And so the doctor talks about how Gianna Beretta Mala gave sacrificed everything for her baby. And um, so there she was. And I had a copy of the script with me and I got to meet her afterwards. And I asked for her signature and she was so humble and gentle. And she, I remember her just kind of asking how I wanted her to sign it and where I wanted her to sign it. And, you know, her whole name or part of her name. And she's very Italian, you know, and she speaks very quickly. And I was so nervous, you know, cause I'm standing in the presence of a daughter of a saint. And she just looked at me and she saw how nervous I was and she started giggling. And then I started giggling. We're just giggling together at nothing. And I thought, this is, this is kind of what heaven is like, you know, where you're just standing in the presence of somebody who is beautiful, who, you know, who someone sacrificed everything for this person, um, namely Jesus Christ in heaven, who sacrificed everything for all of us. And we're just happy. You're just so happy about it. And so she signed this, this script for me. And she had this long line of people who wanted to talk to her, but she spent this time just kind of letting me bask in the happiness that I had of being in her presence and, and, you know, signing the script. And I just felt like, you know what, this is a little moment of heaven. This is what heaven is going to be like when you get to see Jesus and you get to see all these good people who did all these good things and, and, and the fullness of happiness level four is just there and surrounding you. And that's what I love the most about the Napa Institute is just so filled with people who are joyful all the time, because no matter what the culture's throwing at you, all of these people are working for good. And so if you're ever depressed about the state of the world, you know, and you just want to be around, go to the Napa Institute. I just <laughs> recommend it. Give it a little plug. It's, a, it's quite an investment. It's a big hit to your budget to go. 
but go, it's worth it. Um, Cause you see what all these good people are doing in the Catholic universe. So it's interesting, Camille, you, you said that about um, that wonderful event um, down in Napa, California. But when I would talk about the Healing the Cultures Gala, um, one of the things that I would highlight is, you know what, I love going to them because I see all of these people that yeah. I know yeah. that they're like, oh, look who's here. Oh, they're there too. Oh, they're all here. Yeah, our like, donors are the best people in the world. Oh, they're amazing. They're, they're, I, I, I love being at your gala because I see these people I know, they're committed to their faith. They're committed to the gospel of life and they are supporting an important cause, healing the culture. And so tell us about the upcoming gala, the Make a Splash 2021 gala on Friday, September the 17th at the Bellevue Hilton. Yep. Father Spitzer is going to be there. We're going to be um, speaking about hope in this culture of death. We're going to have um, a wonderful classical guitarist there as our entertainment this year. And we're going to be highlighting our new projects, our upcoming projects, and then the um, the programs that we've released last year. And we've got great statistics to show people about the conversion rates we've had and the, um, the students that have been through our program. So people are going to really enjoy that. We're also going to show some of the new animation that we've done um, for younger audiences, dabbling into some new territory um, while still dealing with the abortion and euthanasia issues. Some of our work has been able to touch on issues like transgenderism. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a little animation we'll showcase about a circle who wants to be a square. And his name is Miguel. And um, it, it was a really lovely way to show the principle of non-contradiction. You, you can't be something and not something at the same time, but also showing how who you are is how God made you to be and to want to be something else is a contradiction. So, so that'll be fun. Uh, but it is at the Bellevue Hilton in um, on September 17th, which is a Friday. Um, and the, uh, the reception is at five. So you get a whole hour to mingle with our guests and to talk to Father Spitzer and to get your picture taken with him if you want. And then the dinner is at six and the program is at seven and it's filling up. We are already half full with still a month to go. So people should, a uh, little less than a month to go. So people should register soon if they want to be with us. That's beautiful. Healingtheculture.com, healingtheculture.com. And you can get individual tickets. You can get a ticket, a table. Uh, you can reserve an entire table. That's what we would do. Get a table and then fill it up with friends yeah. uh, to introduce them to Camille and to the important work of healing the culture meet Father Spitzer and be with a whole bunch of really cool Catholics. But also folks, if you're not in the Seattle area, not able to access Bellevue, or you'd prefer to participate from home, that's also an opportunity that you can do. You can get a gala in a box. And so that's something that you'll be able to access as well. Um, all that registration information is available at healingtheculture.com. Camille, I can't believe the hour has zoomed by really wow. fast. <laughs> Isn't that it always goes fast with you. Yep. This is a, yeah. we were kind of covered a lot of subjects today, but they were, I, they all had one theme, which was hope and witness to people about the beauty and joy of being a human being made in the flesh in God's image. And you know what, in the way that that is shining forth, maybe even more brightly now in the midst of the darkness than when things were just going smoothly. So the challenges are enormous, but the opportunity to shine brightly is, is present and, um, I hope folks that are listening will take some encouragement from it and that together we'll stand up to be part of those bright lights. So Camille, thank you so much thank for being so generous today and giving me your time. Thank you. And thank you for the good works you do. Next year, we will be in Spokane area, in Yay. the late Spokane area with our gala. So yeah, and Father Spitzer will be there too. Yay. That's God awesome. willing and the crypto rise. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right.